0: 4 beginning in verse 29 1 Kings 4:29 <clears throat> Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore and Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt for he was wiser than all men than Ethan the Ezrahite Heman Kalko and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals, and of birds, and creeping things, and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth had heard of his wisdom i'll pray lord again just thank you so much for the life that you've given us in christ and that you have so blessed us god with yourself and we ask that as we look at your word again our hearts lord will just be renewed and encouraged, god in the gift that we've been given of jesus and eternal life in christ's name amen you may be seated Well, we're looking at the life of Solomon and we saw last Sunday that God appeared to him in a dream and said, ask whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And Solomon, in recognition of his need, of his inadequacy, he said, God, the one thing I need most is to be able to judge your people rightly. So he asked for wisdom, discernment, to judge God's people. And God said, I I have given you what you have asked, and I've even given you what you have not asked for, and that being riches and great fame. And now... And beginning in chapter 4, I believe what we have is a chronicling of God's promise to him. God is telling us in chapters 4 through 9 how he has poured out on Solomon all that he had promised for him. But these chapters are not just about Solomon, they're also about the temple. And so these two things, temple and the king, have one thing in common. And that is that that is the glory of God. And the, the true distinctive of Solomon is God's glory. And the true distinctive of the temple is also the glory of God. Really, these are, are chapters about God's blessing and what it looks like. Solomon is becoming the most blessed man on the face of the Earth. And the temple is the most blessed place on the face of the earth. And that blessing is God himself. It's not so much the wealth or the fame or the wisdom, but it is simply God himself. And the temple is a great, great illustration of that. I'm reminded when God handed out an inheritance to the 12 tribes of Israel, 13 tribes really, they all got land. And some of them got a lot of land. Judah had an enormous allotment. Ephraim and Manasseh had very large allotments that were given to them. Others, like Benjamin, Simeon, had very small portions that were given. But there was one tribe, Levi, that was given no land. And you look at that from our perspective, in our carnal minds, and we go, they got ripped off. They didn't get any of the inheritance. It's kind of like, you know, 12 kids in the family and one of them is omitted from the will. He's obviously going to feel like he got ripped off. But God says concerning Levi, I am your inheritance. So they did not get the short end of the stick. They got, as it were, more than anyone else. They didn't get the land But in a unique way, God gave himself to Levi in a way that he did not to the other tribes, the way it is made to sound. And I believe there's a lesson there for us as we look through these chapters. So I'm not going to look at every word. Obviously, uh, we don't have time of chapters 4 through 9. This is a place where it's good to stand back and look at the forest and not get lost in in the trees. And in these chapters... The, again, the overarching theme is the glory of God. So concerning Solomon, it, chapter 4 is a chronicling of everything God did. So I read a portion of that here in verses 29 through 34. And clearly the wisdom that God gave to Solomon was more than the ability to discern between good and evil, right and wrong. But it was also just general knowledge. The man was an expert in every field of knowledge. Amazing. And God also gave him the ability to put wise sayings into succinct statements, proverbs. And he was also a poet, a musician. A thousand and five songs. I can't even imagine. We have one of those songs. It is the Song of Solomon. All of his Other songs are lost to us. They were not inspired. Only one of them was inspired by God. So this man is brilliant, and it is something that God did. In chapter 5, we have his alliance with King Hiram concerning um, the provision for the building of the temple. And that goes on into chapter 6 with the building of the temple. And we get to the last verse of chapter 6 in verse 38, and it says, "...he was seven years in building the temple." In chapter 7, verse 1, he was 13 years in building his own house. I don't believe that his priorities were wrong. Many times commentaries will say, well, you see, he's got things out of perspective backwards here. He should have spent twice as long on God's house and half as much time on his own house. But we forget that David had already spent many years preparing for the building of the temple. Probably a minimum of 10 years. that David had been quarrying stones and and cutting down timbers. And he had done everything he could to put the temple, to prepare for the temple. And so Solomon is basically just assembling a pre-constructed building. And so now all that combined, it was much longer building the temple than it was in building Solomon's house. The interesting thing is when we get over to chapter 8 and the dedication of the temple. The temple is now complete, and they have a national ceremony to dedicate this building. And it says, in just picking it up in verse 10 of chapter 9, And it came about when the priest came from the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So this is huge. I think if I'd been in charge of the Chamber of Commerce and I had to come up with brochures advertising the great things to see while you are in Israel, number one on the list would have been the temple because God dwelled in the temple. There is not a close second. If you're going to see one thing when you come to Israel, go to the temple and look at that temple because that is where God has assigned His presence. It is amazing. And so this is beyond anything we can describe in the significance of it. That the Almighty God has in a very unique way assigned His presence to this building. We need to remember that the building itself without God is the most significant building on the planet. Why so? Not because of how much money went into building it. It was the most expensive building on the planet at the time. But that's not what made it the most important building on the planet, even without God in it. What made it so unique and so special is that this temple was a copy of the one that was in heaven. Now that's something we can't get our minds around because we can only see what's material. We can't see what is spiritual. But throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the book of Hebrews is very strong on this, that the pattern for the temple is made after the one that is in heaven. So God revealed to Moses and to David what the temple pattern was to be. God gave the plans, and the plans were a copy of what was in heaven. So that means that this temple is a replica, an image of the one that is in heaven. And for that reason, it is the most significant building on earth. Now I hope you can begin to see where this leads us. The New Testament says we are the temple of God. Every individual Christian is a temple of God. We have been made in the image of God. Human beings are the most significant thing of all of God's creation for the simple fact that we alone are made in the image of God. I spent one Sunday a few months back talking about the image of God. We are more significant than the angels. Angels were not made in the image of God, only human beings. So without Jesus, If you never receive Christ, you are the most significant creature of all things that God made in all the universe. You, because you have been made in the image of God. People are significant without Jesus. And it's been Christians that have understood this. What makes a person significant is not what he does, not what he contributes It is simply the fact that he has been made in the image of God. Therefore, he has worth. Therefore, his life should be defended. Therefore, his life is sacred. Because he alone has been made in the image of God. And as Christians, we should all go, we get this. Nobody needs to tell us this. People are different. People are made in God's image. But what truly makes us significant, what separates the Christian from every other person on the the planet is that God lives in us. What separated the temple was, one, it was unique in its design, but secondly, it was inhabited and dwelt by God. And that is true for you and I as well. It's unbelievable what God has done. And so in the dedication of the temple, beginning in verse 12, Solomon starts to... Um, talk about everything that God has done. And then in verse 22, he begins his prayer of dedication. And as you read through this, if, if, I'm not going to go through every verse, but if, if you were to open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy 28, and if you, if these, if you could read that parallel with 1 Corinthians, 1 Kings 8, you would see that Solomon is quoting Deuteronomy 28 throughout his entire prayer of dedication. So this is a man who knows his Old Testament Bible. He's probably memorized it. And remember, he's the, he's the smartest guy on the planet. Memorizing the Pentateuch would not have been a difficulty for him. And he's proving here that he has memorized the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 28. That single chapter is one of the most important chapters in all the Bible for understanding God's program on the earth, particularly in view of Israel. So some highlights here. Look at Verse 33. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, if they turn to you again and confess your name and pray and make supplication to thee in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back into the land which you have given to your fathers. This is exactly what Daniel is doing. Daniel knew this chapter as well. De- Deuteronomy 28, Daniel knew the prayer of dedication. And so when Israel has been taken captive, they're in a foreign land, and, it, and Daniel, three times a day, is going into his apartment and opening up his windows, and he's praying toward Jerusalem. He is doing exactly what God's Word told him to do. Hear thou in heaven, O God. Verse 35, When the rains are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee and they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin, when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou in heaven. Verse 37, if there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, locusts or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them. See, the point is every one of these things are listed as the curses of Deuteronomy 28. If my people walk with me and worship me, then I will bless them. If my people turn away from me and serve other gods, I will curse them. And these are the curses of Deuteronomy 28. He's listing them. So Solomon's anticipating the day is going to come when Israel is going to reject the glory of God, reject the blessing of God, and they are going to be taken into captivity, and they're going to suffer all kinds of things, including drought, famine, pestilence, And the locusts and grasshopper, all these things. This does not pertain to the church. We need to understand. Deuteronomy 28 is a covenant with Israel. The church is not under these curses. Israel is. You can't understand world history without understanding Deuteronomy 28 because we are living in the fulfillment of that chapter. Israel is still under the curse of God because Israel has rejected Jesus. That does not mean that God has rejected Israel. It does not mean that God has broken covenant with Israel. But they are not experiencing the blessings of the covenant. They are experiencing the curses of the covenant. That is still in effect today. That has not changed. But why did God pour out His blessings to begin with? Why did Israel, why did they become recipients of the glory of God? That's where Solomon is going in this prayer. Solomon knows that God has blessed them for a purpose, just as he has blessed us with his presence for a purpose. So look what he says in verse 41. Concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty outstretched hand and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, here it is Hear thou in heaven, thy dwelling place, and do according to all from which the foreigner calls to thee, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know the name, your name, to fear you, as do your people, Israel, that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. So why has God raised up Israel? Why has God poured out His glory upon this nation? It's so that the earth would be filled with the glory of God. So that all the nations would know God's blessing, know God's glory. So that all the people would recognize that it's not about the temple. It's not about the king. It is about God who raised up this building and raised up this man. Look over at verse 60. He again, this is now toward the end of his prayer of dedication. And he says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Solomon understands why he has been so blessed. Do we understand why we have been so blessed? And I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about we as individual Christians. We are the most blessed people on the planet because we have been given Jesus Christ. He lives within us. We are not empty buildings. We are temples inhabited by the living God. We may not have as much in terms of possessions as someone else. But we have not been shortchanged. We are the Levi of the world. We have been given God. He is our inheritance. We could not be more blessed. The writers of the New Testament are so clear on this. We have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly places. We have been lavished with the grace of God. What more could the New Testament writers say? We have been made complete in Jesus. We are lacking in nothing. All these are direct quotes from the New Testament. There is nothing more God could have done for us than what he has done in giving us Jesus Christ to live within us. Jesus said to his own disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because lest I go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you until I go away. So my, my indwelling presence through the Spirit of God is much greater than me to be alive on earth with you. Solomon knew why God had done this. Why God? He says, let let all the peoples of the earth may know, not my name, your name, to fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. It is not Solomon's temple, Solomon is saying. It is God's temple. I know different. you can't go on a Christian campus anywhere in the United States, probably, except His Hill. And we're small, so it's never not going to ever pertain to us, and not find a building that doesn't have a donor's name on it. And I get it. If I donated $100 million to somebody, I'd probably want my name on it, too. You can go up to Pennsylvania, and um, there's a Bible college up there, and there's an athletic field. That has the name Funk on it. And it's because one of Patsy's uh, uncles donated tons of money um, to them. And so they named the athletic field after him. Wow. Great. Solomon's going, this building will never be named after me. It's not about me. Good for you, Solomon. But to this day, when we talk about the temples of Israel, we refer to this temple as Solomon's temple. And he's saying, never do that. It is not my temple. It's God's temple. And then again in verse 60, it's so that all the peoples of the earth may know the Lord God. And there is no one else. And in that, no one includes Solomon. So why has God poured out his glory upon this building? Why has he poured out his glory upon this man? So that the earth would be filled with the glory of God. It's not about Solomon. It is not about the building. It is evangelistic. Why has God given Jesus to you and me? It's so that others would know Jesus. It's not just so that I can walk each day in peace. It's not just so that I could know the joy of the Lord. It's not so that I can experience the blessings of God, even though all those things may be true. He has given Jesus to us so that the earth would know Jesus. We cannot live as God intended and be silent about what the distinctive is in our lives. The only question then remains, what did Solomon do with what was given to him? Did the earth come to know the God of Israel. Now, if you know anything about history, you know the answer to that question. How many nations came to know and worship the God of Israel during this time? It's a big goose egg. Nada. The most we can do that some people would, would, what would look to is the country of Ethiopia and say there is an ancient Jewish population there, and they trace their lineage back to Solomon. It's highly um, questionable whether that's true. The reason they do that is because they would say the Queen of Sheba came from Ethiopia. But now, modern historians and scholars say that is not true. That the Queen of Sheba came from Yemen, not Ethiopia. And so, yes, there is an ancient population of Jewish people in Ethiopia, but it is not necessarily true that they can trace their lineage to Solomon. And even if they could, you have only one nation out of all the nations of the earth who embrace the God of Israel, which leaves us with the big question hanging, why? How can God have done what he did? There is no nation that is as rich and prosperous as Israel at this time. There is no king who is as wise and powerful as Solomon is at this time. And the king knows it is because of God and he has one job description. Tell everybody that it's about me. And he's reflecting that in his prayer of dedication. And yet none of these nations, none of these nations turn to God. How can that be? I think chapter 10 is the explanation for this. Chapter 10 is the story of the Queen of Sheba. Now you recall, she's actually mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus makes reference to the Queen of Sheba, calls her the Queen of the South. Yemen is a thousand miles south of Israel in the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. When this woman, the Queen of Sheba, came to Israel, it would have taken her weeks, maybe months, to make the journey, and she would not have stayed just a three-day weekend and turn around and gone home. She came with a massive entourage of people, soldiers and servants, camels, and tremendous treasure. We don't know how long she stayed. would have been months, minimum. There's one legend, we don't know that it's true, is that she actually... Um, gave birth to a child with Solomon, uh, one of Solomon's children. We don't know if that's true. But we know she was there a long time. And she had complete access to the king during that time. She could shadow him, watch him, ask him questions. And at the end of her time there, she leaves an unbeliever. It's tragic. Even though Jesus makes mention of this woman, he never calls her a believer. He called her a seeker. And said, she will rise up in the day of judgment to condemn this generation. Because something greater than Solomon is here today. So why is she, what business does she have rising up in the day of judgment unless she's part of the judgment? See, that's the point. She never placed her faith in the God of Israel. She went home as lost as she came. Why? Now it came about when the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue, with camels carrying spices, very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. Now, I would just stop for a second there. She came with many questions and got all her questions answered. You cannot read Emergent Church into that. (laughs) We're living in a time where ambiguity is valued, where lack of clarity is valued. I didn't bring it with me today. I've got a great quote from A.W. Tozer who says, in every other field of knowledge, certainty and precision is sought after and treasured, but not when it comes to theology. And he says, we're living in a time where we need dogmatism again. And he calls it gentle dogmatism, compassionate dogmatism, but we need to be dogmatic about what we know to be true. And this woman, as a seeker, comes, and and to Solomon's credit, he is not ambiguous. He is not waffling. She asks direct questions, and he gives her a direct answer. That's the way it ought to be. There's times we don't know the answer, and you say, I don't know. But when people say, like, are you telling me that someone who does not receive Jesus Christ is going to spend eternity separated from God? That is a direct question. It deserves a direct answer. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying the Bible says that unless you know Jesus Christ personally as your your Savior, then you are not going to spend eternity with Him. It's either eternal destruction or eternal life. It's one or the other. This woman came with questions, and she got answers. I wonder if there's one question she didn't ask. I'll come to that. Verse 4, When the Queen of Sheba perceived... Now listen carefully to this. When the Queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit left in her. What's being repeated over and over again? He. And the he is not God. Solomon. Clearly, after all of these months, she's impressed with the man. This is not good. Verse 6. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard about you in my own land. Your words and your wisdom. Oh, my word. Can you hear what's going on here it was a true report which i heard about you your words your wisdom and there is a deafening silence on solomon's part i am frightened for solomon you remember when joseph stood before pharaoh he'd been in prison for the last number of years this is his one chance to escape And the first words out of Pharaoh's mouth, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, you heard wrong. Only God can interpret dreams. When Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar said, already the word's gone out. You tell me the dream and its interpretation or I will kill you. And this young man stands before the king. And the king says, can you tell me the dream and its interpretation? And he says, I can not. Only God can do that. But God has told me. Those two men on either side of Solomon did not hesitate to give God the glory. And they refused to let a man recognize them for what was only God's doing. See, that's what is different here about Solomon. Solomon. This woman should not have been allowed to say another sentence before Solomon cuts her off and says, excuse me, you've been here how long? And you're still thinking I'm the reason for this? He should have said, I am but a little boy that doesn't know how to go out or how to come in because that's what he said back in chapter 3. Nothing's changed. But he's silent, deafening in his silence. Nevertheless, I did not, verse 7, believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I had heard. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. No, it's not my wisdom. These men are not blessed because of me. There is one explanation for what's happened in this country, one explanation for what's happened in my life, and it is simply God and his presence. This is what God raised him up for. This is why God poured out his glory on this man, so that when given the opportunity, he would simply say it's God. How difficult is that? To deflect, to say it's God, it's not me. Do not praise me. He knew this was his job description. And yet throughout this chapter, silence with every statement that's being made, no objection, nothing done to bring her back to the truth that it is about the God of Israel and it is not about me. Verse 9, she mentions the God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel, Forever, therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Sounds good. Keep in mind, Jesus never said she was a believer. So what just happened? She never claims the God of Israel as her God. The God of Israel. Not our God. Not like Ruth with Naomi. Your people shall be my people. My God, your God shall be my God. And that's not what's going on here. This is simply a pagan woman who is doing what every pagan did when they visited a neighboring country. And they politely acknowledged the gods of that country. Every country had their own local deities. And whenever you went to another country, you showed your respects You gave your deference to those people and their religion by acknowledging what they worshipped. That did not mean you embraced their God. If you were to go into a Muslim mosque, one time they used to let you go into the Dome of the Rock, the mosque at the Temple Mount in Israel, and they don't allow you to do that any longer unless you're Muslim. But at one time they let any non-Muslim go in. And you were asked to take your shoes off, to take no pictures, and to act quietly and respectfully while you were there. We all did so. That did not make me a Muslim. If you were to go to the Wailing Wall in Israel, in Jerusalem, man or woman, you go on either side and you cover your head. All the men cover their heads, the women cover their heads, and if you don't have a covering, they will provide one for you. I've been there twice, and both times I have not hesitated to take the covering and put it on my head because I want to show my respect for the people that are there. That does not make me Jewish. And so when this woman simply acknowledges the God of Israel, it doesn't mean that she is converted to the God of Israel. History tells us nothing changed in Yemen. Nothing changed in that country. This woman went home as lost as she came. I think there was one question that she didn't ask. How can this be? See, she's come to her conclusion how this can be. It's because of the man. And so she never asked Solomon, how is it? How can this be? So then I asked why didn't she ask? That's the that's the big question. Why didn't she ask? Why are you so different? I think it's because he took a thousand women, seven hundred wives, and three hundred concubines. That's coming up in the next chapter. Because in this day, the culture that she was living in, to multiply wives was to declare your power, your ability. Show me a king with one wife, and I will show you a weak man. How can he even still be king and be that weak? Multiple wives represented personal power. Taking a, a single wife would represent personal weakness. Solomon is the most powerful king on earth. The entire culture of the world expected him to have more women than any other king. And he took it wholesale. Bought into it without any reservation. And so even though he was given all the right answers to all the questions, there's one question that wasn't being asked. And I think it's because he was telling everyone by his behavior. It's a question you don't need to ask. I am the reason for what you see. It is my power. It is my uniqueness. It is my wisdom. And he was declaring that by taking 700 wives and 300 women, um, 300 concubines. So the right question was never asked. Think of it this way. Had he lived biblically rather than culturally and taken one wife, it would have made him a freak on the world scene. Everyone would have been asking the right question. How can a man be this wise, this rich, and this weak? Right? Because his behavior would have been demonstrating weakness. And so people are going, it's blowing my mind. Weak people are not supposed to be this blessed. Remember what Jesus says? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Whoa. Solomon is a demonstration of this, and yet he's covering it by the way he's living. Culturally, nobody would have expected anything other. But by living culturally rather than biblically, he is robbing God of his glory because no one is asking the right question. And he seems to be content to let them leave impressed with him rather than believers in the God of Israel. What a tragedy. Silent when being praised for what God has done. That got Herod killed in the New Testament. That's why I said it scares me for Solomon that he sat there silent while this woman is praising him for what God had done. But perhaps the bigger problem is not his silence, but he lived his life in such a way that no one even had a reason to ask, what is the difference? Throughout the Bible, both in New Testament and Old Testament, we see example after example where people look at what God is doing, unbelievers looking at what God does, and come to the wrong conclusion about what they're seeing. Shouldn't surprise us because 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says the natural man can only appraise naturally. Speaking of an unbeliever. The unbeliever is can look at what God is doing and not come to the conclusion it is God's activity. The natural man will give a natural explanation to what God is doing. Remember, God was speaking by the power of his spirit. In languages that people had never learned, 120 people are speaking in languages they had never learned in Acts chapter 2. And what did the pagans come to? You're drunk. The natural man is going to give a natural explanation for what God is doing every time. Shouldn't surprise us. This is why they need to hear. We need to live in such a way that we live biblically and not culturally, even when it makes us stand out and look freakish to this world. We leave the consequences of our obedience to God. But the thing is, when we humbly accept what God has said, this is how he wants us to live, it will make people ask the right question. If we are not cloaking God's glory By living according to the world. Maybe God has blessed you with great wealth. Why should it be be newsworthy that you give 10% of that away? What's the big deal about donating 10% of your money? Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. It was Laterno that started Laterno University, and after he became a Christian as a as a businessman in the construction industry, he said, that didn't make sense to me. Ten percent to God and I get to keep 90%? He goes, no. And so he endeavored and made it his life ambition to live on ten percent and give ninety percent away. Now does that make people sit up and take notice? You better believe it. Why? would you do. Now, I'm not saying God has told everybody to give, a, you know, give away all but 10%. I'm telling you God has said it's all his. Every single nickel is his. Why don't we live like it? If we would just live in accordance with God's spirit and God's word, people would be asking the right question. What what makes you so different? And then when people see the difference, I pray all the time, God, make me bold to tell them what the difference is. It is not enough to simply pray, God, let people see a difference in my life. Valid prayer, good prayer. The world saw a difference in Solomon's life. But the world came to the wrong conclusion about what the difference was. Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Yes, God, may the world see something different in my life. And may they ask, why? And give me the boldness and the clarity to answer the best of all questions. Why is my life different? Which was never asked of Solomon. And we say, one reason, Jesus Christ. One reason. He is the wealth of my life. He is the blessing of my life. It's not good choices I've made, it's not upbringing, it's not health. It is simply God and His grace. Jesus is the only explanation that you will ever hear from my lips. And please do not praise me, Solomon should have said, for anything you see. It is God's grace. God's glory for his praise and his honor and not for me. I have to think that if Solomon were here with us, he would say amen. He knows better than anyone. He messed up. Lived his life robbing God of his glory by living according to the culture and no one asking the right question. What is the difference? Why is your life different? And when people praised him, instead of praising God, he remained silent. All praise, all glory, all honor belong to him and him alone. I'll pray. God, I thank you again for these um, examples in scripture that we can all relate to. We're more blessed than Solomon could ever have imagined, God. Don't have the wealth. Don't have the knowledge. The intellect. But we have Jesus living in us. Oh, God, I long, I know we each do, that we as your people would live in such a humble fashion, trusting you, loving you, obeying you, that when people see your blessing on our lives... That they would ask, How can this be? And make us bold, compassionate, Lord, but bold, and gently, humbly saying, It is you and it is not us. Simply your grace poured out upon needy people. We thank you, Jesus, for your patience with us, your long suffering. Thank you for your lavish grace. And that you have blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places. In Jesus' name, amen.